Welcome to Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything cinematic. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. Boom. Welcome to the show. Uh, we're excited this week because you know what? We're kind of in the crux of, well, the, uh, the crux, the climax of awards season, I think. You know, we're getting there mm. where the Oscars are just happening at the end of the month. We're getting through all of these contenders, which anyone that's listening in from the UK probably won't have seen, which is what's happening this year. Um, and we're going to be talking about um, a big, buzzy award contender um, just to, a little bit later on in this show. But talking of buzzy, I've not seen mm. bands so buzzy um, about talking about our first movie. Um, this is kind of before we went to air. He was like, did you catch it? And I was like, oh, I didn't. And normally that's okay. But Dan's uh... like, oh, my goodness, I've got so much to talk to you about. And... The reason why he's got so much to talk about is because the first movie on our list is called The Reckoning. And, and, and um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fitting title, Reckoning, in so many ways as well. Go on. Yeah, and it's available on digital from today. Um, it's, it's leading the charge of this week's podcast. So I am intrigued to see what the buzz is about from a very buzzing fan. Connor, tell me. Right. First of all, this could have been garbage, right? And I wouldn't have cared because this is made by Neil Marshall. This is, you know, like Dog Soldiers, The Descent, Doomsday, Centurion, even that god-awful remake, a reboot of Hellboy, Neil Marshall. You know, Neil Marshall, Battle of Blackwater Bay in Game of Thrones, Neil Marshall, okay? Neil Marshall can make a film. He is basically the British John Carpenter. That's who Neil Marshall is. And he just never gets the credit he deserves because he he just sort of gets forgotten about as a sort of little, kind of like a PS at the end of the wave of cool Britannia filmmakers that we get, we got along with like Danny Boyle and people like that. So he, he kind of came along at the end and kind of got cast aside. And he's he's found a decent niche for himself though, being quite skilled in genre movies. So he's sort of found himself as the our John Carpenter, as it were, in much that same way. This movie sees him uh, sees him directing uh, a script co-written by and starring his current fiance, a woman named Charlotte Charlotte Kirk, um, who has something of of a wave of controversy. Not so much around her, so much as constantly enveloping her from all angles. I'll let you look into that controversy and make your own mind up as to what the story is. I will say that it has a direct effect on the careers of many, many important men in Hollywood, and it's absolutely hilarious and fascinating at the same time. It even affects the DCEU. That's how twisted a story it is. You've got to read it. Vanity, It's in Vanity Fair. Just go and type Charlotte Kirk into Vanity Fair, and my God. So... She is a young woman in the perfect marriage. She has the perfect child. She lives the romantic dream in 17th century Britain as it is besieged by the plague. And we're told all of this at the beginning of the film in like proper witchfinder general gothic text, complete with, you know, the organ music harping gothically over the top, you know. And, and you know, pictures of people in the plague masks with the, you know, the long uh, beak-like noses, things like that. Basically... Her husband, you know, is, is taken from her tragically by, you know, the Black Death. And she's uh, she's trying to pay the rent to keep to make ends meet. Her, her landlord uh, makes advances towards her, which she then fights off. She, she fights off his advance, advances, you know, amidst this climate of social distancing that we're all, all forced to be living, living in. And uh, she fights off his, his advances. And he responds by accusing her of witchcraft. 
thus embracing the institutional misogyny that unfortunately has laid waste to the Britain of the day, and she must fight her way for survival. What's to happen to me? They'll try to break you. Like they did to the rest of us. Fear not, my child. Salvation is at hand. There's something wicked at work in that place. She has the devil inside her. If I was walking around Blockbuster, God rest its soul, yeah. um, and uh, I saw the cover of this movie, yeah. the poster, I would walk straight past it. Doesn't look like you my would, thing. Would you not assume, based on the cover, that this was an adaptation of a PlayStation game? 100%. Um, and then you tell me that it's 17th century, Black Plague, yeah. Witchcraft, yeah. Witchfinder General yeah. text, and... Yeah. Basically, you've won me over. I am literally like, once I get off this podcast, I'm going to go and watch it. <laughs> yeah, right. Here's the thing, right? Okay, regardless of whatever you think about the controversy around Charlotte Kirk, she's annoyingly good in this. Like, she's yeah. annoyingly well suited to it. And you do feel there is this personal catharsis at work for her in this. Like, yeah, it feels like that, regardless of what, what, what view you take of her tale. Um, Having any movie, let alone one directed by and co-written by Neil Marshall, in which you've got Sean Pertwee in what looks like the the, the sprayed-on pants of Alan Rickman in uh, Prince of Thieves, with the the, the to the op- open to the navel black linen shirt as the Witchfinder General, screeching out things like "I will have my confession," as the Undertaker's entrance music blares up at the start of every single one of your scenes. I'm sorry, but you give me this for an hour and three quarters. I don't care how crap your last film was. I don't care what controversies you're embroiled in or what you're accused of presently. Well played, sir. Well played. You have my money. Uh, I'll see the next movie as well. Well done, Mr. Marshall. Um, I'll forgive Hellboy, even though I think it was worth it just for Stephen Graham as a man-bear pig smacking a guy with a urinal and yelling, have that. You know, I, I think that was worth Hellboy on its own. Well, do you know what? Very simply, I have always been a fan of Sean Pertwee since Blue Juice, so I will watch anything that he's in. <laughs> um, do not worry about that. And the fact that you just said Stephen Graham's in it as well is, uh, is amazing. Oh, no, no, Stephen Graham was in Hellboy. Stephen Graham was in Hellboy. Oh, right. Stephen Waddington. Stephen Waddington is in uh, The Reckoning, though, as the, the sort of the corrupt landlord who accuses her. It's such a great movie because there's bits like when they start spreading the rumour about like she has, she's a witch. It's done in this way that's like, this is how Twitter works. It's in that kind of a really wonderful, really violent, nasty British horror way. Honestly, Bex, you're going to love this. I will I will definitely. I might go and watch it this lunchtime because why not? You should, you should. Um, <laughs> so that is The Reckoning, which um, is available on video on demand uh, and digital from today, um, which sounds like you should definitely go and check it out. It looks nothing like what the cover or the poster will tell you. So sounds like it's, it's not be based on a PlayStation game. 
It's not, not at all. Uh, something that equally is not based on a, a PlayStation game, but is also available from today, uh, available on Sky Cinema and also Now TV, if you have that, is a Promising Young Woman. Um, I should be stepping into the ring now because it's about time for a fight. Um, <laughs> we have been teasing you about how I feel about this movie, but I'm going to give you a very quick uh, intro into what the story is about. It's just picked up two BAFTAs. Uh, last mm-hmm. weekend um, for Emerald Fennell, uh, for the director uh, for Best British Film, and also I believe it's Best Original Screenplay as well. Um, it was Best Original, definitely. Do you know the thing about that, actually, that did strike me as odd? And whether you like Promising Young Woman or not, I think its position as regards award season this year is very comparable to what Get Out had two mm. or three years ago. So it winning Best Original Screenplay for me was very interesting because obviously Get Out did as well. Sorry, please continue. Go on. No, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. And um, uh, so it stars Kerry Mulligan, who's also up for Best Actress Oscar. She was snubbed at the BAFTAs. Um, but she plays Cassie, who is everything that you would expect a promising young woman to be. You know, she was, I think she was at medical school. Uh, she was studying to be a doctor or something along those lines. She now works in a coffee shop by day, but by night she goes after sexual predators. She goes after, pretends to be drunk in bars so that men can take her home. And once they try and take advantage of her, she basically has her own reckoning. I think you should go. But a second ago, you were determined for me to stay. You were pretty insistent, actually. I was a nice guy. Are you? I thought we had a connection, I guess. A connection? Okay. What do I do for a living? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. How old am I? How long have I lived in the city? What are my hobbies? What's my name? You know the funniest thing about the about that, that clip to me every time I hear it is always that whenever Kerry Mulligan says that line, how old am I? I immediately think, actually, do you know what? I, I don't know, Kerry. You could be 40 or 22. I, I don't know. You, you're just so nondescript. You're somewhere in that bracket. I just don't know where. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. She's a, and, and you know what? This the woman's film... a chameleon. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? That's why I think lots of people are giving her the plaudits for this role. Mm. Um and they are saying, oh, God, Carrie's such a chameleon. My argument is, is just she's just not doing a period drama. So um, you see, <laughs> therefore... Oh God, know, on, on, on behalf of Doctor Who fans everywhere, we are just going to say that we had her doing the present day first. Just, just FYI. Okay, yeah. fair enough, fair but enough. No, so look, here's where I, I can stand. See, uh... Here's where I stand on this movie, okay? So this is a year... This is a funny year with the awards race, okay, Mm -hmm. where a lot of great, great movies just haven't been released, right? And they haven't been released stateside. They haven't been released here. So we are getting those kind of films that, you know, the BAFTAs are a great example of this. We're getting sort of films that wouldn't normally be considered for races like the Oscars and stuff being up there. And I do think that um, Promising Young Woman is a very capable film. It lacks, it, for me, it feels like you've wound up the toy car, it's kind of chugged along, but it's never gone from like, you know, it's never quite hit the motorway in a way. And that's right. the disappointing bit about it. But I think, you, I think we've arrived at the exact same point in different ways. So I, okay. think, I think Promising Young Woman is an absolutely incredible movie until it isn't. 
And that exact point, and I don't want to go into it narratively. I'll just say she puts on a certain costume you'll have seen in the trailer. It's at that point in the movie, which is basically the last 20 minutes or so, where for me it's just, okay, so you had a very well-handled, almost stylist, almost stylistically very genre movie there that made some quite important points. And it's on that land. It, it's just sticking the landing that seems to hob that seems to hobble it. It doesn't make that landing. It breaks its ankles on the impact, and that's the problem. You've got a, a movie that it only works on any kind of an intellectual level if you burrow into it far too deeply than the film itself by that mm. point would have implied that you're supposed to. I'm with you. And I mean, you have to dig two levels deeper into the subtext of it, into, you know, what's actually going on than, than you needed to for it to actually work. Whereas I almost feel like if it went full horror by the end, that would almost feel braver. Yeah. To have gone very cold and matter-of-fact about it would have gone braver. The film goes Hollywood. And yeah. the problem is, by going Hollywood... It, 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 you've you've had a film that for like let's just say that the hypoth- I forget I'm not forget the actual runtime offhand but let's say it's two hours let's say you've got a film that for an hour and forty minutes was American Psycho you don't quite then get to do Forrest Gump at the end it doesn't yeah. work and you know what this is why it's kind of divided a lot of critics and mm. why I personally think it's got a lucky a lucky slot at the draw for for the Oscars. Um, I think it's got the Get Out card. I think that's what it is. Yeah, but you know what? Get Out got there on its own merit on a strong year. You know, I don't think it's a particularly strong year. I think this just feels quirky but important enough. I think is why it has. I think, having said that, there is also the question of would that inherent structural fault within it have hindered it had it it been released in any other year as well? Do you know what? The New York Times, I think, has a very similar sentiment to us. There are people, you know what? There's a lot of public who have seen this that are raving about it and saying this is the best thing since sliced bread. Obviously women um, saying that. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. I know a lot of men who really, really love Promising Young Woman as well. Interestingly enough, as well, mostly men who are horror fans, strangely, actually, who have gravitated towards it because it still plays like a horror movie, but, you know, sort of real-world, non-violent yeah. horror movie i think the film's very good but I, I think i think you'd be hard pressed to find someone that wouldn't deny it's a very unique very mm. singular film it's yeah. worth talking about but the problem is it's not as worth talking about as it should be yes because i think so there's the hype machine around it so then you'll watch mm. it and the problem is is that i was watching it going God, i can't wait to see the ending because i think something magical is going to happen and it's going to blow yeah. my mind and then it doesn't. It's cool movie, but what point were you making? Exactly. And that's where I kind of feel deflated. So, look, Capable, uh, is it up there? Should it be getting the buzz it, it's getting? I'm not 100% sure. I'm not a Kerry Mulligan hater. I think she's brilliant. But I do not believe that she deserves to get the Oscar based on the fact that she's been good in other movies. She should be based on being really, really good in this. And for me, anyone could play this part. And in fact... I could see other people playing it better. I, I actually, I'm on the opposite side to that. I think she, I think specifically the image we have of Carrie Mulligan is why she works so well in this role. I think her, her being naturally more dramatic allows her to lean into the, the, the really macabre, deadpan side of this. But having said that, I'm going to give the film two thumbs for everything except the last 20 minutes. 
And when you factor that in, unfortunately, it becomes a sort of a one and a half or one to two thirds thumb. Yeah. And that's a real yeah. problem. But having said that, I can see why people might enjoy it. And there's a lot in there that I never thought Paris Hilton's sex tape would be something we'd have to discuss in relation to a Best Picture nominee. But here we are in 2021. Tiger King is a thing as well. It's bizarre to me. But uh, yeah, I think it's worth checking out. I think everyone should yeah. see it regardless. Yeah. And make up your own mind. There's going to definitely be a divided camp on this. So Go and enjoy it. Uh, go and see what the hype is about. It's available on Sky Cinema and also Now TV from today. And if you want to let us know your opinions, we'd love to hear from you. Welcome back to Off Screen and ever diligently keeping you on that couch where it's safe, it's warm, it's cuddly and cosy, but it's always in need of cinematic goodness. We're taking you to Freeview, Ms. Perfect and I, and of course, starting tomorrow, which is Saturday the 17th of April. Well, Ms. Perfect, how's the forecast looking? Oh, it's looking showery. <laughs> Maybe we need a little bit of a rain man to help us out. That is a terrible segue. I apologise, ladies and gents. I'm sorry, I couldn't come up with anything I'm not better. A seg- I'm not the segue guy. You're the segue guy. Just, what the hell? Rain man's on. Talk about rain man. <laughs> it's on Five Star, 10pm on Saturday. One of my favourite films. Um, released in 1989, directed by Barry Levinson and starring, of course, um, Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. Now, they play brothers. Um, Tom Cruise plays um, Charlie, who is this selfish autom- selfish car dealer, essentially. They, Char- Charlie and Raymond, aren't they? Because yeah. the Charlie and Raymond Babbitt, aren't they? Because I remember because the name yeah. Babbitt, it comes up a lot like five years later with the Bobbitt case. Ah, yeah, Charlie and Raymond Babbitt. And um, he basically kidnaps his autistic brother called Raymond, uh, played by Dustin Hoffman, and tries to manipulate him into giving up his inheritance from their late father. So this obviously, you know, when you're thinking of awards here, this um, Dustin Hoffman, you know, would yeah. picked up um, the Best Actor Award for this. His performance is incredible. And here is a good example of it. How do you know this car? I definitely know this car. It's 1949 Buick Roadmaster, straight eight, Fireball eight. Only 8,095 production models. Dad lets me drive slow on a driveway, but not on Monday. Definitely not on Monday. Who's your dad? Sanford Babbitt. Sanford Babbitt? 10961 Beechcrest Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. That's my address. I mean, what is it with this guy? Hey, who's your mother? Eleanor Babbitt. Eleanor? Guy, January 5th, 1965, after a short... Who the hell are you? Uh Uh-oh. Huh? Oh, wait a second. Where are you going? 13 minutes to Judge Wapner, Wapner. the people's court. Hold on, wait a second here. I want to ask you a question. What's your witness signature? So Dustin Hoffman there, in, in a role that has, I think, arguably set the sort of template for uh, what Tropic Thunder referred to as the don't go full sequence. Uh, which obviously we we won't we won't name in full, but I think this this was really the first example of that because this then leads to like I think this is just before Daniel Day Lewis with My Left Foot and Jodie Foster with Nell. I think this was also around the time of like you know the the Miracle Worker with Marley Matlin and things like that. So this I think is held up as the great big shining example. This is what uh, uh, Sean Penn was so clearly trying to ape with uh, I Am Sam in two thousand two with its uh, wonderful mm. Beatles cover soundtrack. Uh, it's a song called Classic. I always forget that Valeria Galino from Hot Shots is the uh, the love yes. interest. Well, not so much the love interest as the sleazy girlfriend in this. Yeah, and do you know what? Look, I watched this over Christmas, um, so not too long ago, and it still holds up. It is still a classic. It's the pace, actually, when you revisit this. It's not 
it's slower than you think it's going to be. It's not like some wild ride into things. I mean, and it's two hours and a quarter long, okay? So it, it, it does take its time throughout, but I absolutely love it. And it's just really, I mean, it's a great performance from Tom Cruise, but come on, Dustin Hoffman. When you're talking, we mentioned the word chameleon before. There is nothing quite like a chameleon. Mm. I mean, I, I have seen John Oliver make him disappear into a piece of furniture, but uh, that was that was very rough YouTube footage. Anyway, um, I will say actually, when when you because you picked Rain Man for for, for Saturday, and I, I had to go and find the clip, and I was I was actually watching the the clip as I was sort of editing it, and uh, I remember thinking to myself, just wow, you just wouldn't release this movie now it's just you wouldn't find like a studio backing a movie with like okay we've got our hottest young star and here's a movie where he goes on a road trip with his autistic brother that'll yeah. be our summer hit yeah uh, you would not find that happening now in a million years but no. uh, alas rain man worth a check i think absolutely i was just very quickly going to say you do the, the other performance that i did love that's sort of not on par but but similar as leonardo dicaprio and what's eating gilbert grape you know i think yes that was like fun. five years i think it was five years later something like that wasn't it yeah. also got him an, an oscar nomination didn't it so yeah. it kind of really really reaffirmed uh the tropic thunder uh, statement there i think so yeah. on to uh, Sunday afternoon then. So I, 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 I picked Sunday afternoon's one. I'm very proud of this. I'm so glad I caught that this was on. And I got to, to rewatch this yesterday. I, took, I had like an hour and a half for myself. I thought, I'm going to sit and just enjoy some fun. So BBC One on Sunday afternoon at, I think it's five past three right, in the afternoon, yeah. Bill, okay, from the guys who made Horrible Histories, Bill. And it's got all the, the, the horrible histories lots like Matthew Bainson, Simon Farnaby, people like that, alongside people like Damian Lewis and Helen McCrory and, and the like. And what you've got is effectively a big screen hybrid of something that's halfway between like a carry-on movie and Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks doing like Blazing Saddles and Robin Hood Men in Tights. But it's distinctly British. And it's... Do you remember that movie a few years ago that Roland Emmerich weirdly turned out? Like in like 20 2013 called Anonymous. It was oh, yeah. like an action, yeah, an action thriller about how Shakespeare was really a fraud, and it was all like the Earl of yeah. whatever the hell. Yeah, um, here you basically got that done as a comedy, right? And it's all tied into like jokes about history because this gets followed up by horrible histories, rotten Romans. And if you've got a way to watch the two back to back, absolutely do because that'd be a hell of a double bill. Um, this sees Will Shakespeare drafted into script a play for the Earl of Croydon, the, the inept, goofy Earl of Croydon, that's being used as a pawn in potential peace talks between King Phil, King Philip II of Spain, and Queen Elizabeth, played by Helen McCrory in full grouch mode. And this has all come about because King Phil... King Philip II of Spain has in fact captured Richard Richard Hawkins, the Queen's favourite privateer, played in a brilliant cameo we'll hear here by Damien Lewis. I have to stop for a portrait, but uh, must that. Do look me up if ever one of your armadas pans out and uh, I'll take you out in London. My treat. I'll be sure to pop it in the diary. You seem very chipper. For someone being robbed. No, it's just I'm... Uh... A little bit excited. You see, I'm interested to see how you're going to get out of this one. <gasps> it's a round room, no corners, two exits, not exactly holding all the cards there, Phil. Have you forgotten the first rule of espionage? No. 
always hide in plain sight. Mr. Hawkins. Oh, bugger. This sounds right up my street, actually. I can't believe I've not heard of this yeah. before. You'll love this. You'll absolutely love this. As you can hear from the clip, the success of, you know, like with the Carry On films and with the Mel Brooks movie, the success comes from the performances being really committed to just how silly this is. Like you can hear Damien Lewis of all, you know, billion star Damien Lewis there, <laughs> hamming it up really well. And he's got that, ah, I know I'm in a swashbuckling adventure kind of vibe. And he pulls it off because they, they all really commit to it. I tend to interchangeably think of this with, with Rotten Romans because the two are very similar and very comparable but they're also both equally very very funny. Um, you can watch this just with your, your adult friends, you could watch this with the kids, you could watch this with grandparents, could watch this with anyone and it just works so BBC One Sunday afternoon 5 past 3. I cannot recommend highly enough Bex that you sit and watch Bill. Yeah I can't wait. Um, something that I have seen, uh, which I've seen many times over, um, is available on <laughs> Monday, uh, kickstarting your week. Uh, ITV4, 9pm, is The Craze. Um, it's brothers playing brothers. Uh, Martin and Gary Kemp step into the shoes. So this is the 1990 version. I know there's been lots of um, adaptations of the story of The Craze, but um, as you can imagine... Um, basically following Ronnie's violent nature that takes over kind of him. His brother follows suit. Uh, the two become the most notorious crime lords to ever rule the East End. And um, <laughs> at the height of their power, they basically veer into different lives, giving the older crime bosses a chance to reclaim what the craze took from them. It's a great version, probably, in my mind, the best reenactment. I, I think I think so, definitely, because it's a proper full biopic as well. So you get yeah. you get sequences like our clip here, in which, for instance, you get to see how the craze of all people, the legendary craze, responded to the, you know their attempt at national service. <laughs> Someone stick a feather up your ass, lads! Oh, you're grinning like a bloody Cheshire cat. And where do you little darlings think you're off to? Oh, for a cup of tea with our mum. Get your nasty little asses back in here! Look, you got nothing to say and you're saying it too loudly. So Quiet! <laughs> I know there was a lot of hype around Tom mm. Hardy's portrayal in Legend. Um, there's also been the fall of the craze, the rise of the craze. There's been the strong <laughs> villain. They've, they've risen, they've risen, they've fallen, they've risen yeah. again, you know. <laughs> they've got their own CrossFit routine at this stage. But when I think about a portrayal of the craze, I do think of Martin and Gary Kemp in this. And I, I do as well, I absolutely, yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes the original, the OG, is exactly what you want um, from a movie like this to kind of understand, like you say, the entire timeline of these notorious gangsters. Um, and they're very believable as it as well, which I think is good. I think that's the success of the film. I think the the, the, the thing with the, with the, with the craze, the reason it still gets revisited, because it is a throwaway, you know, cheaply made British gangster biopic from, you know, 31 years ago. The reason this is still around today and we still talk about it is because it's actually a very well-made film. And it mm. works because it absolutely goes for the humanity 
in what's otherwise a traditional rock star fall from grace biopic. It's you know it's, it's no different in in the way that it's depicting its 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 subject from the way that, for instance, a movie about Johnny Cash depicts that subject or anything like that. It is the, it's the rise, the fall, but it's more about the humanity behind it. And you get so many of these that always focus on the you know, glorifying the criminal aspect. This focuses on you know the men, and I actually really love that about it. It's very well written, and they play it to perfection. Don't get me wrong, terrible actors in everything they've ever done since, but perfectly good here. Credit where credit's due. So that's it. The craze, ITV for 9pm on your on Monday for you. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be kicking off the rest of your week with everything that you can see on TV again. So we shall return shortly. And now it's time for a segment we like to call Off Screen Pays the Bills. Hey, Bex. Hey, Van. What's going on? Hey, nothing going on but the rent. You know how it is. I do indeed. Do you know what, Van? It's been a pretty chilled week for me this week. So I've been enjoying lots of our fellow podcasters' podcasts and listening to some really good stuff. How about you? I, I, indeed. In fact, I'm, I'm really, really lucky because our sponsor this week is, uh, is is one of the shows I actually listen to, which is, and stick with me through the name, because obviously we've been talking about, you know, movies this week in in, in which you know, it is about women being besieged upon by institutional misogyny. So we're going to talk about the Art of Manliness podcast, which is actually the exact opposite of that, which is literally, it's it's sort of almost like therapeutic listening for men. It is uh, a podcast series that features just guests that aim to help men become their, their best, best self in, in every area involving like, you know, philosophy and practical skills and relationships and style and things like that it's all about like mindset and mental health and clarity and things like that they've they've done like really cool interviews with people like uh bruce lee's daughter and and steve mcqueen's biography people like that people who you know have like the insight into what made you know history's best men you know people like that there's some really great episodes i've been uh, listening to revisiting quite a few actually there was one that was called uh bringing more more poetry or more soul into your work that i found strangely inspiring which was you know about that uh, that that process of like we can all be quite mechanical about the things we do and we don't really inject any personality or anything of ourselves into them which obviously I don't really struggle with that personally because I, I get to do this with you and this is all personality all the time as you know but uh, no it's just a really really great series so you, you just listen to every single episode and you'll come away with uh, just almost like TED talk level insights into just different ways to you know view and see the world it's great so that is the Art of Manliness podcast you can you can find that on Apple Podcasts on Spotify m- most other podcast players can't recommend highly enough that you check them out. I knew these guys in advance because I get a lot of their stuff shared through uh, social media and things through friends of mine. And uh, yeah, big fan. Out of manliness. Check them out. We're smiling now. And speaking of smiling, a Smile Brilliant, which uh, they're sponsoring this week's episode, which is fantastic. And we've talked about this before, but... I have this issue, and I think you do too, Van, about grinding your teeth in your sleep. No, but every teeth issue. every te- I mean, The fact that they're largely just comically Jim Carrey in the mask style oversized <laughs> is chief among them. Well, do you know what? You're not alone because over 40 million other people also do have this problem. So it could be stress, could be anxiety. It could be, sounds like for you, an abnormal bite. <laughs> Chronic teeth grinding that will lead to, basically, if you don't get this sorted, it will lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and also expensive dental procedures. 
procedures and I've had expensive dental procedures before and you know what they do rack up so what I love about Smile Brilliant is it's the number one teeth grinding prevention that is recommended by dentists um, it's you know it, it follows on from what is the custom fitted night guard but that is so costly normally it costs around you know for our friends in the states around two to three hundred bucks per guard and you'll get through maybe two or three uh, per year so what Smile Brilliant are doing which is fantastic is that their lab direct process gets you the same custom fitted night guards for as little as 45 bucks per guard so their custom fitted teeth whitening trays are also available and they've got the carry pro uh, electric tooth toothbrush so you can get all yeah, of yeah, this you can get all of this which is fantastic by heading over to smilebrilliant.com you can use the code off screen at checkout for another 30 percent off which Whoa, is nice um and so just use that at the checkout that's our gift from us to you to help you smile brilliant Looking to stay in the loop with the latest movie news? Then say hello to The Daily Reel, your bite-sized hit of the biggest happenings, hirings, firings, release dates, scandals, and everything else going on behind the silver screen. Delivered to your ears every weekday morning in less time than you'll spend in the shower. Subscribe to The Daily Reel on all major podcast platforms or ask Alexa to install The Daily Reel skill for your morning flash briefing. Make your morning cinematic with The Daily Reel. Welcome back to Offscreen. We're keeping you on your couch, but don't worry. If you're listening in here from the UK, then we have got brilliant movies for you on TV. Uh, starting with Tuesday, uh, The Crimson Tide. Ah, oh, I love this film. ITV4, 9pm. Are you a fan of this one, Van? I absolutely adore Crimson Tide. I mean, Crimson Tide's a movie that we all forget. It has um, an uncredited screenwriter, screenplay rewrite from Quentin Tarantino, of all people. And it's very, very obvious in that sequel when they uh, sequence when they uh, start having a fight in the mess hall over uh, who did the better silver surfer uh, who, who who drew the better silver surfer in the 60s you're like dude nobody in the military is fighting over this come on only in the mind of tarantino but that's not the point so this is the tony scott directed uh submarine thriller the mutiny on the submarine mutiny on the nuclear sub starring denzel and gene hackman this comes from that great era, era in history in which if you wanted a boilerplate for the all for all the adult audiences you could take your dad but you could still be entertained and thrilled as a teenage boy thriller you got gene hackman and that's what they did here gene hackman is the commander of the uss alabama the sub that is sent to uh, to uh, basically you know enforce the peace when it looks like there's a civil uprising in russia and rebels are taking control of nuclear installations um they they get attacked by um nuke by russian subs uh, just as they receive a, to receive two messages. The first message tells them to launch their nuclear weapons. The second message, which they think may be telling them to abort that launch, is garbled. Gene Hackman wants to launch. His new executive officer, played by Denzel, has very, very different ideas, and the pair come to loggerheads. What I'm saying, Captain, is that we have backup. Now it's our duty not to launch until we can confirm. You're presuming that we have other submarines out there ready to launch. But as captain, I must assume that our submarines could have been taken out by other Akulas. We can play these games all night, Mr. Hunter, but I don't have the luxury of your presumptions. Sir. Mr. Hunter, we have rules that are not open to interpretation, personal intuition, 
gut feelings, hairs on the back of your neck, little devils or angels sitting on your shoulders. Captain, We're all very well aware what our orders are and what those orders mean. They come down from our commander-in-chief. They contain no ambiguity. Captain, Mr. Hunter, I've made a decision. I'm captain of this boat. Now shut the f*** up! The petulance of Gene Hackman in this. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's it's what really makes I think it's such a phenomenal performance from both of them, but particularly Jim mm. Hackman in this. You get to feel as well the claustrophobia, like the smell, like what you'd imagine from being on a submarine is. It gives you everything. So as a holistic offering as a movie, mm. all senses are catered for in this, which I think is really good. Well, that's it as well. I mean, there's a, first of all, there's a hell of a supporting cast in there that's got the likes of James Gandolfini, Viggo mm. Mortensen, there's even a young Ryan Phillips pay in there just a really great cast in there that are all playing it to absolute perfection really well shot i, I you know this is this is like you know, this is peak 90s tony scott this is like days yeah. of thunder era tony scott but also i think it's it's just masterfully uh, written and acted in that we are effectively talking about a stage play and yeah. this but you watch it presented as an action movie and it does go to show you that the biggest action movies don't need action sequences that's the really fascinating thing about Crimson Tide it's a master class in boilerplate in, in, in pot boiling pot boiling tension yeah it's got you know action sequences despite no set pieces yeah and it's all masterfully entwined in this sort of cat and mouse psychological game of you know, psychological warfare, this game of cat and mouse between Denzel and Gene Hackman. And yeah. it's just wonderful. And this is a thing, like you mentioned about it. So was it originally a play? Is that what it was? No, no, no. But it has that feel like you could have done this as a play. Yeah. That's that's you the thing done. about it. And this is the thing is that actually you could see it as a play, but actually it works so well as a film. Whereas there are other movies out there where you watch them and you go back that is so, so much mm. a play. Like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, Fences, also starring Denzel. They just, they can't break that format of it still feeling like a play. It's too wordy. Whereas here, you definitely get, you get the wordiness, but there's mm. everything else that just builds it into a cinematic realm. Well, I think that's where the casting of it becomes key. Like you mentioned, like Denzel has that propensity for starring in things that feel like plays. Obviously, Denzel is a very theatre-based actor. Uh, so was uh, Gandolfi, the late Gandolfi, yeah. I believe, and obviously Gene Hackman is as well. So there's a lot of the cast here. And Viggo Mortensen, you know, you just know that that guy takes his craft really seriously. Yeah. Like Viggo Mortensen's really into like painting in linen shirts. <laughs> like, you know, Viggo Mortensen's really into art. You know, so you know he takes his thespian uh, his thespian credentials really seriously. So you know that they view this as a theatrical exercise. But you know what? Check it out for yourself. It's a great action thriller. Don't don't let us think that we're selling you something so highbrow. We're not. This is a 1996 submarine action thriller with Gene Hackman. Man, you know exactly what you're getting. I mean, it's produced by like, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. So yeah. you know, it, it fits it's neatly. Into that it's, yeah, there's so much. Yeah. To it. So, there's going to be some heavy editing, some quick fire editing in there, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So moving on to Wednesday. Oh, I haven't seen this film in years, but I loved it when it came out. Mm. So this is on the Horror Channel at 9pm. It's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And this is the Kenneth Branagh directed and starring version. Also, it's starring, unrecognisably, Robert De Niro <laughs> as as the monster um and it just what it's bleak it's gothic it's brilliant um so basically frank uh, victor frankenstein tries to destroy the monster that he has created 
and at some point things kind of go back to normal but then the monster reappears again and basically gives him an ultimatum of either the br- a bride or revenge of what I think the reason that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein works, it came about at a point when we were trying to, Hollywood was trying to legitimize a lot of horror properties. You had uh, Jack Nicholson in Wolf doing The Wolfman. You had Bram Stoker's Dracula a couple of years earlier as well with uh, Francis Ford Coppola. We talked about that quite recently, Bex. Um, and then you had Kenneth Branagh doing Frankenstein. And I think the reason that this is far and away for me the most creatively successful of those three is that what he's done cleverly is to take the big gothic melodramatic production that you expected him to make and then he's gone and made a, a dramatic, a character-driven dramatic thriller at the centre mm. of it. Mm. Uh, yeah. and, and, and still somehow lent into the gothic melodrama. I think it works really well. I think De Niro being the method actor that he is, is yeah, he was always going to make this work. I think his yeah. sequences of his discovery of humanity, I think, are genuinely terrific. Yeah. It's just a really, really well done movie. It's the best movie I can remember John Cleese making a cameo in. Well, well, actually, let's talk about the cast because the cast is incredible in this. So obviously, we've got oh, Ken, yeah. Sir Ken, and we've also got Robert De Niro, Sir De Niro, um, but we've also got um, Helena Bonham Carter plays Elizabeth, so the bride essentially. Of course, um, yeah. We've got Aidan Quinn in this, Ian Holm, John Cleese, as you mentioned, Richard Briers is in this, Celia Emery is in yep. this as well, uh, Sherry Lungi uh, is in this. I mean, the cast, if you want a period drama of that time and something that's, that pushes the boundaries because of the nature of the story, this cast will bring it for you. It's also really, really well paced. Like it doesn't hang about. Like, it, yeah. like you watch this movie, and it's you, know, you watch this this like lengthy, you know, uh, movie. That just pretty much just it hits the ground running. It's mm. like here's a flashback that shows you why I love her. Now I love her, and now I'm going to score. And you're like, okay, cool. We're we're racing through this plot, but we're still actually taking time to do some character stuff. Yeah, that is, that really is there's also some really great memorable imagery, like uh, De Niro above the bed, like on the glass over the bed, like yeah, really great. Also- memorable there's also the, the there's an expanse of really wide aerial shot of the expanse of snow mm. and i think it's it's frankenstein carrying um the monster and that actually is kind of the end point but we see it quite early on and it's quite used in a lot of the marketing it's very bleak it's very yeah. it's very still and i think that is quite iconic from this movie as well so if you've never seen it um then this is worth a watch don't be put off by like oh no i'm not going to watch another you know period drama or something like that if it's not your thing i think you'll be really surprised by this really Um, good yeah yeah, really 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 good so again horror channel 9 p.m on wednesday um it's quite a vintage pick that we've got this this like a selection of picks that we've got this year we've kind of going we've got like we've got like three minutes to get through the next two so annoyingly we have to cram all of our nostalgia into three short minutes but yeah but don't worry lots of people will know about this one which which is on Thursday, ITV4 at 11, 10 p.m. It's The Waterboy. Uh, Adam Sandler in one of his very few select good movies, <laughs> which uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, you know, you think of him with like the Razzies or just generally never 
quite hitting the mark, but there are some things like The Wedding Singer and The Waterboy that really made him iconic. Were you a big fan? Um, the Waterboy, yes, I was. The Waterboy, as far as I remember, I think was the first out-and-out out, uh, Adam Sandler success story. Mm. He'd had The Wedding Singer about a year earlier that had been a sleeper hit that had, you know, that had, you know, gained momentum through word of mouth and things, and had made like a respectable amount of money. Billy Madison had opened, I think, three years before this and made a respectable amount for an SNL sort of spun-out comedy, yeah. you know, like a decent mid-range amount of money. And then you had The Waterboy, which came out like just at the right time with just the right cultural mood and it was just this opening weekend smash yeah. and everyone was talking about it like the following week everyone's like trading their favorite gags and stuff. it was a cultural moment for adam sanner and it felt like you had seen it coming because of the success of the water boy a year earlier yeah um i think a very funny movie that, that kind of becomes the basis of the formula that adam, adam sandler still adheres to to this day which is just to basically become he, he inserts himself into a comic world but still somehow becomes the agent of chaos figure at the center of it yeah yeah he does it really well and that actually do you know what one thing that i think he did really well with well, the halloween one that he did recently which was a surprise uh, hubie hubie he halloween which was again a spin on that same kind of thing isn't it yeah but anyway so going back to the water boy adam sarna's in this it is of its time brilliant also stars one of my favorites feruza bork is in this as well as is kathy bates so, uh, yeah. Mama. Yeah, so if you're after a good old-fashioned comedy, this will definitely work for you. So it's on ITV for 11, 10 p.m. And then finally, I'm going to hand this over to Van because... I hate to say it, sometimes there are boys' films out there and you have to just give it credit where credit's due. I'm not the one to talk about wild things. You are, Van. Because <laughs> I am a 37-year-old man, so of course my teenage years were shaped somewhat dramatically by the existence of the movie Wild Things. Uh, so Wild Things, 1998 thriller that uh, pretty much made stars of uh, Denise Richards and, and Nev Campbell, who was already on the rise at that point thanks to you know the first two Scream movies. And this was sort of her, her branching out from that franchise into something else. Uh, Denise Richards was obviously big because of Starship Troopers just beforehand. And this was their big crossover, their team-up, in which uh, they are the girls from different sides of the tracks entirely. Denise Richards being the rich one, Nev Campbell being the trashier, poorer one, and they uh, basically become key figures in the in a case involving an accusation of sexual misconduct against a school teacher played by Matt Dillon. The investigating officer Kevin Bacon, though, quickly determines something is not quite right with this case. Maybe there's no physical evidence because nothing happened. You want my gut? There it is. I think she's acting. I think she set it up to be alone with him so that he could come on to her. She's upset, because he didn't. Maybe she set it up that way, maybe not. I mean, if you ask me, the guy never should have had her out there in the first place, period. Gloria, the line I have on this guy is done half the women in Blue Bay. That doesn't yeah, make right. him a rapist. Kevin Bacon and his fellow officers there. Yeah, if you've not seen it, Bax, I recommend checking out Wild Things. Do you know what? This is this is the movie that my, my, my good guy friends from school like i could bring i could just say the words on a whatsapp message wild things and it will cause all sorts of conversation that will come from them uh, which it just was so, <laughs> it was so seminal it was such a seminal movie for so many young boys out there and i think for us similar age you know yeah. ladies would just eye roll and be like oh god they're talking about denise richards again okay fine whatever move on so it was never really on my radar but it was always you, you, i appreciate you, it for what it was 
You didn't. You didn't need to concern yourself with her. I mean, within less than a year, she went onto the Bond franchise and ruined her own career anyway. So she's kind of out of the picture now. I mean, I'm amazed that she hasn't popped up as some sort of Stifler's mom figure in yeah. some comedy franchise or something as yet. Like, because I think she's on a soap now in the US. I think she's on like the Bold and the Beautiful. But anyway, that's beside the point. That's, that's just that's that's me spending far too much time on Instagram. So yes, yeah, so those are your uh, your cinematic offerings on Freeview for the week. Coming up next, let's get down to the virtual DVD and Blu. Ray Isle and see what's on streaming. Welcome back to Off Screen. You're welcoming, we're welcoming you here to our final block of this week, uh, which is our DVD, Blu ray, and streaming. I feel like we go a bit old school with this. DVDs, Blu rays, what next? VHS? I <laughs> 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 feel like we're going back in time. Um, but we're not. We're, we're, we're going to go somewhere strange, though. We're going to go somewhere strange with Nicolas Cage to kick things off, um, which I still haven't caught, but I am looking forward to watching this at some point. Um, Nicolas Cage in his bonkers best, uh, Willie's one. Wonderland. I know you're a big fan of this. I, I really enjoyed this. This was this was kind of the tonic I needed that week, I think, which was just this 90-minute B picture, this grind. Like you genuinely could have just taken taken the actual trailer for this as it is, slotted it into the middle of Tarantino and Rodriguez's Grindhouse presentation, and it would have been absolutely believable. This was a made-up movie purely to sell the idea of a, a generic Grindhouse concept. Nicolas Cage is a mute drifter whose car breaks down in a small town. He takes on a job for the night so that you can afford the repairs so that you can leave town and uh but you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you let you hear the setup and then we'll get to the crux out of there partner my name is tex same as the state got the handle macadoo welcome to willie's wonderland yeah he don't talk much and i respect that i enjoy a man a few words Well, business is not what it used to be, but I am fixing to reopen and make Willie's better than ever. Here's my offer. You spend the night cleaning Willie's Wonderland, and I will pay to have your car fixed. By morning tomorrow, you come out of there, and your ride will be right for you right there. Deal? How well do you think that goes? Yeah, I can imagine. I see what you mean about the kind of, I already get this sense about the grindhouse kind of Rodriguez-esque kind of feel with this. Like, it's almost like, apart from like Cheech and Chong or whoever it was that was uh, in uh, welcoming you into the bar in, uh, from Dust Till Dawn. Oh, that was Cheech, Cheech Marin. Yeah, yeah, no, I've got yeah. I, I own his T-shirt. But there's um, there's there's something about it. It's like like it's so B movie, which I think mm. it's it, 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 you know if you love those kind of movies, this is going to be something that I think you'll be intrigued to watch. As I am, um, it's just coming well, down. To I life. mean, the the setup is 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 not that original. So the idea really is the sort of Willy's Wonderland's a sort of Chuck E. Cheese type establishment, you know, arcades and pizzas, and there's loads of animatronic uh, attractions for the kids. But the idea is that this one happens to be somehow connected to like a demonic presence and the animatronic figures come to life at night and, and kill people and consume them, eat them and Nicolas Cage must fight them off and survive to the dawn. So effectively it is a sort of a From Dust Till Dawn like setup 
mm. in that he is basically, basically confined to this fast food restaurant. Um, obviously, this has been done in you know quite prominently in the, the, the Five Nights at Freddy's series, which I think started as PS1 games that have now become like this line of toys and action figures and novels and things, and is currently you know in the process of being adapted into a feature film. Like they've been trying that for a long, long time. Uh, they've been picked to the post here. Like the Pepsi has arrived before the Coke, so to speak. And yeah. uh, you know, a- Apple have beaten Samsung for a change. Uh, <laughs> that's what you've got here. It's good fun. It's 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 well made for what it needs to be. Like, I mean, I, I, my friend Kelly, for instance, endlessly asks me, like, "Are you serious about something so janky?" You know, like, it's it's meant to be. Like, she's like, oh, they're so slow and clunky looking. I'm like, they are meant, that's the fun yeah, of it. I don't want just... them to be, like, properly, fluidly animated. Because I want this to be really janky and really ropey. If yeah, you can do it with stop motion, do it. It's a homage, isn't it? And it's, mm. you know, it it, it it serves its purpose in, in showing that it understands a certain era of filmmaking and style. It's the reason, I think, people like you and I were left so cold by the remake of Child's Play a couple of years ago mm. when you saw, like, a computer-animated Chucky doll. And it's like, oh, this just is nowhere near as fun. Yeah, and uh, not only that, it's why, you know, going to more commercial like Star Wars, when J.J. Abrams really focused on practical Mm. effects for Star Wars, is because there's that, you know, it it holds up practical effects. And Mm. in a world where we're saturated with over, you know, animatronics and and just over CGI stuff as well, this is what, it's just refreshing. I'm just going to point out as well, by the way, I know for a fact they did use a real robot uh, during the production of that Charles Play remake for certain sec- sequences of it. So no one needs to like at me for nothing, just FYI. <laughs> but, um, but that's the thing. I mean, Willy's Wonderland, for which, by the way, Nicolas Cage brings his full cage rage to the table. I mean, he, he has no dialogue, not one line of dialogue in the entire thing. But and yeah, he somehow somehow still manages to go full cage. So it's well worth checking out if you get the if you get the chance. If you want like a proper Nicol- mute Nicholas Cage does from dusk till dawn with like you know the creatures from Five Nights at Freddy's, have at it. This is a blast. You're going to turn on this one. Over on streaming though, uh, this is one that I know has been hugely popular with like parents over the past year. Um, this is Smallfoot, which is coming to Netflix on Tuesday the 20th. Do you remember Smallfoot? Because this was one of two. No, I, I, do you know what? I, off Straight away, and it's the wrong no- name, I'm thinking of Littlefoot from Land Before Time. <laughs> 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 but no, I, but then I'm thinking, do I know Smallfoot? Did we go and see a Smallfoot-based movie at screening at some point? And yes, I do remember. We did go. You don't remember this one. So this was the Channing Tatum one. And then there was Abominable as well, which was the uh, the, the, the more cutesy one that came out, I think about six months or so later. Yeah, I think I recognise this one. So this is the, like, he is kind of an abominable snowman, isn't he? Yeah, this is Channing Tatum as an abominable snowman who's not quite up to the job of being an abominable snowman and ringing the sacred bell that he has to, you know, fling himself out every morning. Uh, gets spotted by a human and goes off in search of the evidence. Um, it's, it's a fun romp, but like I said, kids seem to have really latched onto this. I have so many friends with, with kids who are, are just sick of the sight of this movie. It's one of those that... Um, just became uh, a repeat watch in a lot of households with like young children like this Trolls World 
for uh, Raya and the Last Dragon appears to be that as well. You you know which are the real success. If you have friends with kids, you always know which are the real success stories yeah. because you know which ones are getting played over and over okay. again until yeah. the parents are sick of the existence of them. And <laughs> you know, thanks to my nephew, I'm I'm getting a taste of that now myself. So uh, Here we go. yeah, I never need never need to see the live action Lion King ever again. <laughs> Wow, I would have thought that would have scared your nephew, actually. I love that movie, and now he loves it. Just the circle of life sequence blows my life. Oh, wow. Uh, well, that Smallfoot, I think if you do have kids and you're wondering, you know, is there anything else that they can watch? Smallfoot is coming out on Netflix from Tuesday. Um, but coming out uh, next Friday, in fact, uh, is, is Chick Fight on Amazon Prime. Tell us about that one because this feels like this feels like I feel like you're picking a wild things again. <laughs> right, so this is far more benign than something like wild things. So this stars Malin Ackerman. Remember her? She was yeah. in uh, Watchmen and Billions. And so she, uh, she she's like a, a woman with sort of screwed up life. She's like she's like the she's like a middle aged lady who's like average in every way. Uh, but except for you know looking like Malin Ackerman doesn't have her s together so to speak and she discovers an an all-female underground fight club run by Alec Baldwin that she she uses as her road to self-discovery and to find herself now I ordinarily wouldn't look twice at this I mean the villain of it is Bella Thorne but I just I just saw the trailer and thought actually there's a strange Amy Schumer at her best energy to this that kind yeah. of works. And Alec Baldwin looks like he's really enjoying himself, like just in this sort of curmudgeonly coach kind of a role. So this is coming to Amazon Prime on uh, Friday the 23rd, next Friday. It just looks like a sort of a, a fun, like 90 like- minutes feminist punch-up comedy. And I'm like all about that. Yeah, maybe for people who enjoyed like Glow, you know, um, they might. Yeah, it looks like it's going after that market, definitely. Yeah, yeah, because obviously, off the success of that, I'm not surprised that there's suddenly they're latching onto this kind of formula of things uh, that could work. So, you know, female wrestlers through to female fight clubs. You know, what's what's next for them? I've, I've been intrigued to see, but. Yeah, look, I think you've just sold me with the whole, the fact that Alec Baldwin's in it. I was like, I quite like to see yeah. that. It feels B-movie within itself. <laughs> it's just my well, it's, it's got it's, it's got my favourite kind of a poster for any, like, comedy involving, like, a female pr- protagonist, which is, it's a white, blank background, and the text is in hot pink. So just just in case you haven't picked up that she was a woman. Oh, I mean, well, that looks that sounds mm. very similar to Promising Young Woman's poster as well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, um, I, I, to be fair, I actually really love that bubblegum uh, iconography of the promise. Yeah, I do. I do as well. I think it's. I think it, that is something that you know a lot of people want to have up in their houses as a great kind of poster. Um, I think it works really, really well. But we're talking about chip fight. Uh, that is available on Amazon Prime uh, Friday next week. Uh, that you can catch that, and um, that is you know that's kind of we're, we're getting to a strange stage, aren't we? Where there's not a huge amount new coming out there's lots of stuff on hold at the moment we're waiting for it to kind of reach a peak and hit us well look at look, look at next week for us obviously next weekend we will do the oscars on the sunday night 
<clears throat> but I mean, prior to that, on the Friday, the only two films that we really are going to get to cover in the, in the UK anyway are um, Black Bear, the Orby Plaza one, which I think is like a, a dark, twisted sci-fi horror stalker thing. I think it's wow. a horror stalker uh, type movie. And Fear of Rain, which is uh, a, a, a psychological horror movie starring Madeline Iceman from the Jumanji series and Katherine Heigl. So it's a very, very strange week next week. Very strange, very strange. And to be honest, I'll be kind of happy when the, the award season is done and dusted and we kind of know where we stand with that. I'm slightly, you know, if I'm honest, writing it off this year. It's not the year that I'm getting overly excited about. Um, I look forward to all the amazing things that are to come next year. That's the thing. Um, so it will be really interesting to see that. So look, we will be back as ever next Friday uh, with all of your great movies um, for you to keep you occupied, whether that be on your couch, on DVD, Blu-ray streaming, or of course, with your new releases. But for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs>